Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's See what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hello, Susan. How are you doing this evening? I am doing well. Now, let me see. Do I remember correctly that the last time we talked, you were talking about the arrival of baby goats sometime in the near future? 
Yes, you remembered exactly right. And I had the wrong day. I was rushing it. It's the 11th of April. So I, I'm already too early. I thought I was being so patient. So not quite. And you know, the goats are very precise. If you know the day that they are bred, they're going to give birth 150 days later, maybe 149, maybe 151, but they really are right on the mark on it. Nice. Uh, Thank you for telling me that because I know exactly when it happened. Uh, They were only together for a very brief time. (laughs) Exactly. Most of the time you know exactly to the minute when it happened. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, so April. So you can be, I mean, certainly keep an eye, you know, the week before, you know, notice of anything. And often the first sign that you'll see that they're going into labor is they start start pawing their bedding. Oh. Right? So they'll, like, just repeatedly paw at the bedding. Paw, you know. And sometimes they'll actually even dig a hole. Wow. Depending on how deep the bedding is. Sometimes over the winter, the bedding can kind of pile up because you're not taking it mm-hmm. out. And they'll really get down into that. So I always like to make sure that there's a nice amount of good fresh bedding in the stall so that they can dig around in it and not start digging down into the more urine-soaked layers. Okay, definitely. I, I cleaned, I refreshed their whole stall, and they have an area themselves, the two pregnant mamas. So I will even freshen it up more next week so that yes. they have, I want them to have space. Nice. <laughs> so nice. some yeah. goat owners are, make sure that they're there because they want to take the kids away from the moms immediately. And that's Mm. primarily because there's a couple of diseases that can be spread through saliva, and they don't even really want the mom to lick the kid. I I don't remember the name, but yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, in the small herd that I keep, it has never been a problem. It's not a problem in my area. My goats don't go out to shows, you know. The only other goat they ever see is a buck. Mm-hmm. And usually comes to them, so it's like I'm, you know, pretty protected in that. But once it gets into your herd, if it does, then you have to take the kids away. Oh wow, wow! So I've always been How able to, you know, follow Juliet de Berkeley Levy's idea of natural rearing, and to certainly be there, but kind of hang back and not interfere unless it's clear that interference is called for. Okay. And very few times interfere, it has been extremely clear that I was going to have to interfere. That the kids weren't going to get born. I didn't do something. So how long does it take from the time when, when the goat starts pawing, it can be many hours. From the time when you start to see her tissues bulging or you're actually seeing a nose and hooves, very fast. 
Okay. So it depends on when you pick up on what's happening, how long it's going to take, right? Right, right. What signaled you? What was so obvious that you had to intervene when the, in the time that you did? The nose and feet would come out and then go back in and go come out and come back oh. in and do that over and over again for 20 minutes. Mm. Wrong. Right? Once the nose and feet come out, the next contraction should start to push the rest of the baby out, the rest of the kid out. Right. And if that wasn't right. happening, um, you know, and during that 20 minutes, you know, I did start to do a little at-home intervention. Like, you know, when I saw that the nose and the feet go back in and come back out and go back in and come back out and go back in, I didn't let it go for 20 minutes. Before I went to the house, washed up, got some gloves, tried to see what I could do, da-da-da. Uh, basically pulled the hoof of the other baby goat out. Poof, decided that mm. she needed to go to the vet. Wow, wow. And that was the first Arishka gall. Because we went in and the vet said, this baby with its head sticking out, and it's blue tongue sticking out of its mouth. It's probably dead. I said, yeah, but there's another one behind it that's probably alive. Mm. And he pulled the first baby out, literally threw it over his shoulder, pulled it out, and with one kind of fluid motion, right, this kind of like, you know, beautiful S-curve, pull and then up and over his shoulder and dropped it behind to go in and get the other goat, the first Arishka call. And the baby that he dropped on the floor started bawling. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Definitely a trip to the underworld. It was quite something. Oh, wow. 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 And the other, the other one was the year when we couldn't figure out why we couldn't get any of the goats bread. We borrowed a buck. We had him here. We let him run with the herd for weeks. And they're going to go into every 18 to 21 days, so he's here for 30, 35 days, you know, and nobody's going into heat, and he's not. He's acting like he doesn't even know, you know, like what to do. We're saying, do you need lessons? <laughs> and the you know, we couldn't figure it out. Well, when they, when I went out to milk one very cold February night, I found out what had happened. We had death to that year's yearling buck in time, and he had inseminated every goat. Oh, my goodness. And wow. he'd done it early enough. They were kidding in the middle of the winter, and he had gotten his sister pregnant, and she wasn't able to put the, get the kid out. Oh. The kid was wow. almost as big as she was. I was able to help her get it out because of how flexible they are mm. in that stage, and it was a beautiful, huge, perfectly formed kid, which opened his eyes, looked at me, closed her eyes, and died. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Mm. Powerful. 
Wow. Yes. Yes, conversationally we call it life. Uh, we call it Laughing Rock Farm. But to ourselves we call it Life and Death Farm. Because once you're on a farm, mm-hmm. it is life and Yeah. And it certainly is. Yeah. Always, always yeah. some variety of it. For sure. For sure. And what That's usually what happens about. is everything is ordinary. What usually what happens is what usually happens is you go out there and, oh, look, she has kids. That'll be so happy. So happy. Because they don't want you to know. They're a little sneaky about it. Mm. Well, I really, I've been telling them they're going to do great and telling them they're going to be great mamas, so... We're engaged for just a smooth, happy, let nature's grace just take over and bring it all with smooth ease. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Ah. Well, talking about smooth and ease, that has not been the case for tonight's interview, has it? Hmm. Seems to have been one thing and then another thing. So I'm wondering if you know what's happening. Oh, Since I don't. you know. Well, the last I mm. uh, we were so, having our guest. Isabel Maxell. Is Isabel Maxell going to be with us? That was the last I had heard, but I didn't. um, Okay, good. All right. So that's good. That's perfect. I am happy about that. She's one of the leading spiritual coaches, and she brings both channeled knowledge and her personal understanding to what she does. She's an internationally known medium, author, and teacher, and the founder of the SAGE Method, a life-changing intuitive training program that teaches people how to open their intuitive abilities and live an authentic, blissful life. So stay with us until 9 o'clock or come back at 9 o'clock, and you will get to hear Isabeau Maxell. Good. All right. Nice. Mm. I harvested some wild chives and made myself some chive butter. Wow. There's something so special to me about chive butter. First of all, it makes both the butter and the chives taste better. You snip up the chives, right? In German, they're schnittlauch. The schnitt, you schnitt, you you snip it. So you use a pair of scissors and you snip them really fine. And then you mash the butter with a fork. into mm. Let the butter be at room temperature. Mash it up with a clove with the chives and let it sit for a while. And then you can like, mmm, you know, put it on baked potato, put it on vegetables, put it on a roll, Yum. 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 And there's like, should be wild chives. 
just about everywhere through the temperate zone at this point. I just saw some today. I was out in the little culinary spice garden, and I was like, oh, wow, they're already, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yeah. So, what a, and one of the first herbalists that I met was a woman who ran a place called Capri Lands Farm. Adelma Simmons. And Adelma had stopped keeping goats because, as she said, you can't have herb gardens and goats. <laughs> and right. And what she did was that you signed up to eat lunch with her. And you had to sign up way ahead of time because there was one table. I think there were maybe mm, 30 people at the table. It was a pretty big table. But she served you an herbal enhanced lunch. And one of the first things that was brought to the table was chive butter. Oh. And not just chive butter, but chive butter and tarragon butter. And, you know, ooh. It reminds me of an article in a cooking magazine in which they wanted to make herbal ice cream. Hmm. And they were infusing the herbs in the cream that they made the ice cream from. And they Hmm. said, basically, if they're culinary herbs, they're going to taste great in ice cream. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I've got lavender ice. Right? And ditto with butter butter then. All the Mm. new little things. One of the things I want to try this year that I've never done before is what would nettle butter be like? Mmm. I bet it would get rid of the sting. I bet you wouldn't have to worry about the sting if you, you know, minced the nettle leaves up and mashed them in with the butter. That would be interesting. Yeah, you could make toast really healthy with nettle butter. <laughs> yeah, that sounds fun. <laughs> right, and some people listening, their nettle is art. Uh, I was talking to some students, and their nettle's already, you know, mid-calf. And mine's just, oh, you know, wow. kind of like looking around with its sunglasses still on and going, not sure yet. There's frost when I woke up this morning. Hmm. Hmm. But as we said in the uh, most recent e-zine, here they are, right? Not new, not bigger or better. Same old weeds. Hooray. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) The old friends coming back. Count on them. Right, the old friends. And we can try them in new ways. Oh, yes. Yes. Mm. <laughs> so exciting. I just I love this time of the year, and we're about as far north as you, so it always takes a little more patience than I seem to have because 
like you said, even the creeping Charlie here is still looking like ah, uh, not not even up to par quite yet. Like you're just yeah, it's perfect. It just Bye. yeah, it just wants to like really be sure that it's gonna get you before it uh, makes any moves, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, do we have any people with questions yet tonight? Oh, let's see. Tonight there are two guests, two callers that have had their hands raised. I will remind everyone else listening that if you have a question this evening, do press 1 on your keypad and you will line yourself up in the queue. Our first caller that has their hand raised this evening is dialed in from the 305 area code. From the 305, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi, Terry Ellen. Hi. How are you tonight? I'm doing okay. This is Yami. I'm calling from Miami Beach. Um, I am calling because I have a two-year-old who has been sick since she started daycare. Uh, we both work full-time. And since she started in daycare July last year, it has been one thing after the other. But it seems to be viral. I have tried the echinacea, and it doesn't seem to do much. So I'm trying to see how else I can help her because uh, it's, we're, we're not sleeping. <laughs> Could you tell me a little more specifically how she's sick? Um, it's, you know, it's just the congestion, the very low fever. It seems to happen every other weekend. So I'll pick her up from daycare on Friday, and Saturday she'll have a low fever. And it will go on for three, four days, and then she gets a little bit better. And then maybe the next weekend she's okay, but then the following she's sick again. So I don't know. If so can you tell me um, what you're doing in terms of reducing the fever? In terms of what? Reducing the fever. Are you doing anything to reduce the fever? I just give her my baby Tylenol because that's you know I really don't know enough about herbs mm-hmm. to to take care of things myself. But so that seems to work. It does. It does. And I'm actually asking for an odd reason. And mm-hmm. the fever mechanism is the body's way of getting rid of the pathogen. Right. And often what we will do with our children is we will give them something that interferes with that. Mm-hmm. So if she's not running a really high fever, then it might help her get through it if you don't give her the baby Tylenol. Okay. Okay. What's happening is not bad, although it's a wee bit extreme, and I can understand why, you know, especially because you're not sleeping, why it's a problem, and we'll talk about some other specific things that you can do. Um, But... We have two kinds of immune systems, an innate immune system, which means it already knows what to do, and an 
immune system that has to learn what to do. Mm-hmm. And her immune system is very busy learning what to do. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that she's getting sick doesn't mean there's something wrong with her. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that the the lingering a lingering thing is more problematic than what you're describing, which is she gets sick, she seems to get better, she gets sick again. So she's probably getting a variety of different things from her schoolmates. Mm-hmm. And what we want to do is see if we can find some things that will help her breathe more easily as her immune system learns how to cope with these things. Right. So one of my favorite herbs for helping with breathing is mullein leaf. Okay. Have you heard of that herb? Yes. Great. So I usually make an infusion of it. I put one ounce by weight of mullein leaf into a quart jar and then fill that jar to the top of the boiling water, put a lid on it, and let it steep overnight. Then I strain it out. And interestingly enough, one of the things that is ideal for um, helping anyone who's having breathing difficulties or issues with their lungs is milk. So in order to get that extra healing power of the milk, I mix my mullein infusion half and half with milk and often heat it up and add a little honey. Okay. Now, some people drink chai, which they make with milk, and they Mm -hmm. put like, um, you know, different spices in it, like cardamom and anise, star anise and cinnamon. And there's, if you want to do that, there's nothing wrong with doing that. You have to do that. It's certainly not required. But if that's something that you think, yes, I, you know, I like that, I want to do that, then go right ahead. That's fine. Everybody likes mullein milk, and especially after a hard winter, um, it's fine for everybody to drink mullein milk. It's not like this is some drug that only the affected person can enjoy. Mm -hmm. So if you want to drink some milk, help yourself. Or if anybody else in the household wants to drink some mullein milk, we often make enough that everybody can do that. Because it is so tasty that people really do. Once they start tasting it, they say, wow, can I drink this every day? And yeah, you don't need to. And often when people, there comes a time when they say, oh, I'm not interested in it anymore. But it's perfectly safe for the of any age. And you can... Take the whole quart of mullein infusion and mix it with a quart of milk and have it already pre-mixed so you can mix it as you're drinking it, whatever works best for you. Right. 
Um, with her, she's a, since she turned two, she has become very picky about what she likes to drink or eat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, um, milk, she's still being breastfed. Um, I don't know uh-huh. what I'm giving her because honestly, I, I've always heard, you know, this, uh, this, the breast milk is the best for the baby and she keeps getting sick and I'm looking at myself going like, what am I producing? You know, like, I'm just like, the fact that she's getting sick means she's healthy. Okay, thank you for telling me that. That makes me feel a whole lot better. The fact that she's getting sick like this <laughs> means she's very healthy. Okay. okay. Again, because it's not like she, it's lingering. Right. She's getting right. sick and she's getting over it. Right. Right. So I was wondering if I could do some of the infusions and maybe uh, hide it in the soups that I make for her because she's really into soups and beans and she just likes to I think that's a great things. idea. Yeah? A- absolutely, yeah. Nothing wrong okay. with that. Yes. Okay. I need to start doing something because I feel like, you know, uh, yeah. I'm trying. but So I- maybe this is an easy way to uh, – molten milk tastes – it's very tasty. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, you put a little honey in it. You put milk in the mullein. And it's really, it's an interesting color. It's a great taste. And, again, if you're drinking it, <clears throat> guess who's going to want to taste it? Yes. Well, she hasn't. She hasn't. Mommy has her, uh... something new and special. <laughs> Yeah, she doesn't uh, like milk itself. Like I have tried cow's milk with her, and and she, you know, she just wants the breast. So that's I what have I'm saying. You're not gonna, you're not just giving her out. milk, mullein mm-hmm, milk. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so she it won't be noticeable that it's milk. Yes. Yes, I have right. to make up, an, make up another name for it. Yes. Yes. Right. Oh, this is, you know, this is, um, you know, immune system magic. This is mommy's special tea for keeping her lungs healthy. Well, mommy's feeling run down because she doesn't get any sleep, so she yes. needs a special remedy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the echinacea root tincture somewhere along the line became Minnie's medicine. Minnie Mouse <laughs> is sending this medicine from Disney World so that you can get better. Yes, 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 yes. we got to get creative. It's hard at that age. Exactly. So she is willing to take the Mechanacea tincture. Is she willing to yes. take it as often as you need to give it to her to have some real effect, which is every couple I of have, hours? I, I have. I'm actually in the process of making my own. I bought the... Uh, the echinacea dry, so I'm making my own. Yeah. But meanwhile, I started with uh, the herbal you got, form. You I got echinacea augustifolia. You got echinacea augustifolia, yes? Yes, yes, yes. Good, good. So and I'm making my own. It won't be ready until a few weeks from now. What's too strong? The one that I bought at the store, uh, the herb form, yes. it seems to be extra strong, and that has messed up her stomach badly. So oh, I'm kind of giving I'm, her a break, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, what about the, her cough? I think it's the grain alcohol. Probably. Grain alcohol is very, 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 as you say, very strong, very kind of harsh. Yeah. 
And it has on... a very strong taste, too. So I hide it in the apple juice, which is the only thing she seems to drink, aside from the breast milk. Uh, and, and she can detect the taste. So sometimes she'll reject it. She'll be like, no. But the other one, when it's homemade, she's okay. Yes, exactly. Susan, so what can I'm, I give her for I'm, the class? I'm glad that, that you will soon have some. Yes, yes. Um, for cough medicine, what can I give her to help her uh, with a cough at night? Do you have any elderberry remedies already made? No. Do you have any elderberry tincture, elderberry syrup? The reason I ask is because there's such a lot of good press on elderberry that the um, – Market is showing a lot of distress and a lot of people who sell pre-made elderberry syrup, unfortunately, are finding that the pre-made things that they buy are not elder or they diluted mm. with others or whatever, whatever, whatever. Just plain honey is one of my favorite honey. things to the cough. Okay. And... What I like for children is a honey straw. Have you seen those? No. It's like a plastic, unfortunately, but originally they were paper. Maybe they'll come back in paper. Straw, and it's filled with honey. And you bite mm. or cut the end off, and the person can hold on to it without getting honey everywhere and slowly suck the honey out. Okay. Okay. And it is such an ease on a sore throat and such a good way to stop a cough Mm -hmm. by letting the honey work its magic. Okay. Yeah, my my neighbor who's Polish, she made um, a syrup for her. She actually just dropped it off a minute ago, so I'm going to check it out. But she she says she put garlic, uh, onions, uh, lemon, and honey, and it's like a natural thing that her family has been doing for ages for the cough. How how wonderful! What a precious gift. Yeah, I'm going to have to try that too. Now that you mentioned honey, I know. But elderberry, I could do something with elderberry too as a as an option. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. How do I make that? Can I make it myself or does it have to be fresh? No, it doesn't have to be fresh. Dried elderberries work just fine. Okay. You can do the same thing that you're doing with the echinacea, make a tincture. And then from oh, that okay. tincture, you can make an elderberry syrup, or you can make a, a cordial. You can, there's a variety of different things. You can use it as a tincture, or you can turn it into other things as well. And this, how do you make a syrup, if you don't mind? Generally, I make a syrup by first making an infusion. So I'd make an infusion of elderberries with one ounce of elderberry to a quart of boiling water. And then I would... Let that sit overnight, strain it, and I would have maybe three and a half cups of elderberry infusion liquid, and I would put that on a heat source, bring it up to a boil, and then turn the fire down so that it just barely simmered, Mm -hmm. but that it did 
move enough that it evaporated. Mm-hmm. And that's called decocting an herb. Okay. And generally, you decoct by half. So if you had three and a half to four cups to start out with, then you want to decoct down to two cups or less of your mm-hmm. decoction. A simple syrup is made with sugar, and a pint or two cups is a pound, and you add the same amount by weight of sugar that you have of liquid. So you would add a pound of sugar. It's a lot of sugar. Wow. Yeah. But that's what a syrup is. You can also add honey, and you could add a pound of honey, but again, it's a lot. You don't have to add so much. Right. Technically, it wouldn't be a syrup, but I don't care. And if you add a lot less, it's not going to stay as preserved as well. So I like putting mine in the refrigerator, Mm -hmm. Um, especially after we had a couple of jars explode on the counter. Oh, no. Oh, yes. How did that happen? Well, you know, sugar ferments. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I can't <laughs> imagine picking okay. that up. Okay. All right. Well, uh, you've given me some pointers and some direction. I I'm, I feel better now that knowing that I can do a lot more, and uh, I'm going to... I'm going to call you back, and I'm going to let you know how she's doing. Thank, Thank you so you much. Thank you so Jason. much, and you are doing just fine. Your breast milk is just fine, and you and your daughter are quite capable of figuring out together what's going to work for her and what's the best for her. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. You have a great night. You too. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Bye-bye. All right, and I will remind everyone listening, if you have a question this evening, you one to put yourself in the queue and line yourself to ask a question. Our next caller is dialed in from the 541 area code. From the 541, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Thank you for taking my call. Yes. Um. My question for you is I'm 33, about 33 weeks pregnant, and I just started experiencing uh, indigestion or heartburn. I'm not really sure of the difference. It's basically like a burning in my throat and feels like it goes down into my esophagus after I eat. And uh, I've tried eating yogurt, drinking warm milk with honey, eating, you know, fewer or, like, smaller meals um, more frequently. And uh, just been persistent for about four days now, and um not sure if it's just because my uh, belly me, is pressing so could you much. Tell me, could you tell me just briefly about your diet? Yeah, yeah, I eat a, a pretty broad diet. Um, you know, 
grains, veggies, meat, dairy, uh, fruits, vegetables. Um, I don't eat a lot of spicy foods. I think what triggered the last one was um, like pasta with tomato sauce. So I've been not doing so much tomato. Um, I've been avoiding spicy foods and greasy foods and Mostly, like, like lately, I've sounds, just been eating that bland. That's very wise. <laughs> yeah. To bland down your diet. If nothing else, if you burp up food and your diet is blander, it's not as bad. It's not as what? It, it doesn't burn as much. Right. Right. Yeah. So... It's interesting chemistry in the stomach. The stomach is divided into several kind of interconnected sections. And the lowermost one is supposed to be acid-producing. And the food goes down into the lower part of the stomach where it's drenched in acid and then it kind of moves around and is kneaded by the stomach. If the stomach isn't producing enough acid, then the food moves into the upper part of the stomach for a lengthy amount of time and that's when we get that acid, that burning sensation. It really is acid. There really is acid right there at the end of the esophagus. And the stomach has no nerve endings, so it can't feel the acid, but the esophagus sure can. And it's an acid burn. It hurts like anything. So what people recommend is alkalinizing things. Things, Mm -hmm. you know, like which is is alkaline. Yogurt is very acidic. Oh. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Tomatoes are acidic. You're already figuring out that you need to lower your intake of acid Mm -hmm. because your stomach strangely enough, is it making enough acid. When it makes more acid, it actually helps to eliminate acid reflux. So the herb that I like the best for increasing acid in the stomach is dandelion. Dandelion? Dandelion is it? Yeah. An herb that, was that my everyone agrees perfectly during pregnancy. Nobody's going to have yep. any qualms about your using that. And yep. it, especially if used right before your meal, okay, can often stop that what you fear is turning into chronic heartburn here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking dandelion too, and it's yeah, it's yeah. just dandelion high times where I'm at right now, so it's everywhere. It's dandelion time where you are. Oh yeah, 
Oh, how perfect. It's full on, just yellow everywhere, so. Ah. <laughs> you just go Absolutely. lay in your lawn and munch, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds good, and that sounds like what I was thinking, so. And no no yogurt. Yeah. I read that yogurt was helpful. That's interesting. What about milk? Do you think milk is too acidic? Lactic acid. Fruit, yeah. acidic. Yeah, and so you, just like grains. You haven't and... already discovered that you need your food better cooked. Mm, yeah. You can't ask your body to be doing much breaking down. You have to do it in your cooking pot. Yeah, okay. So cook those greens longer. Make sure that the fruit that you eat is frozen or has been cooked in some way. Mm-hmm. Because fruit, of course, is loaded with acid. Mm-hmm. Raw fruit, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with acid. It's not like we're putting acid down or saying, oh, avoid acid. But you are experiencing right now a reaction to it, which you are seeing can be at least somewhat allayed by backing off from the more acidic foods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, one of many small adjustments in our diets that we make during pregnancy and lactation. Yeah. Yeah, it's just I want to make sure, obviously, that I'm getting a broad nutritive profile yeah. as well. But, you know, I've been doing really well up until now. And if I just yeah, stick I think to bland foods from and, now on. And your food more, right, really backing off from anything raw at this point. Right. Yeah, because that's hard to digest. It just is, is asking a system that's clearly indicating that it needs help right now. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't ask extra of me. I'm already doing everything I can do. Is the, is the message, yes? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hi, have yeah, a problem? Quite, okay, good. Don't call, on, don't, don't call on me. <laughs> Not available. <laughs> Definitely. 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 Um, well, that's great. Um, I'd like to ask you one more question if you've got time. Sure. Go ahead. Um, what do you feel or what are your thoughts on eating the placenta after birth? Or do you have an opinion on that? be someone who has the access to enough good food from what yeah. you've told me about your diet in general. Uh-huh. So it is unlikely that there would be a particular nourishment from the placenta that you are not already getting in your diet. In a situation in which women are not having access to an abundant diet, it makes a lot of sense to recover those nutrients. Mm. I would say if you want to do something with the placenta, probably the more interesting thing to do 
is to slice it and dry it out in the oven. And then you have dried placenta powder, which is said to be the universal remedy for anything that happens to mom or babe during the first year. Okay. Just have it on hand. Yes. Do you feel particularly called to eat your placenta? I really don't. Mm-mm. Right. You really don't. Yeah, I. I'm. I'm. I'm thinking. You know, that there's nothing in the placenta that I couldn't get from like some liver. Exactly. Um, yeah. There's nothing in the placenta that you aren't already getting in your diet. Mhm. Okay. But it, you know, save it just in case. I guess dehydrate it. And some, some mm-hmm. people, you know, do more than one thing with it. They just take a couple of slices and dehydrate them, and then they like bury it in a special spot, and put a tree, a plant a tree over it. Just all kinds of things. Yeah, I was definitely thinking about burying it and planting a plant on it. That's a nice Um, thing to do. Because I kind of miss, you know, giving my menstrual blood to the earth. So that's one way to do it. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. That was very helpful. You are welcome. Not too much longer to go, just seven more weeks. Hard to believe. (laughs) Green blessings. Bye-bye. Green blessings. Good good night. All right. And if you have a question this evening for Susan, do remember to press 1 and get yourself lined up in the queue. We have one caller that has their hand raised at this time, and you are dialed in from the 845 area code. From the 845, you are live with Susan. Hi. Hi. I thought I was at the end of the list. I just came in, but uh, I have an emergency question for you. I did something uh, stupid, and that was, since I'm taking my motherwort and Hawthorne full drop full, I did the same when I got the Osha root for my spring allergy. And... uh, (laughs) I took a drop full instead of five drops, or they, it's written on the bottle five to twenty, and the drop full is like forty. And after that, I went to dinner. And it's okay. A drop full is twenty-five. Well, the drop full I have is is more than that because okay. anyway. So I went to my birthday dinner of my son-in-law and I wanted to make sure that I'm not going to sneeze there and what happened is that in the middle of the sentence a few times I couldn't have the word that I needed to complete the sentence that never happened to me in my life yet Uh, and uh, the same thing happened when I was on the phone uh, leading a meeting uh, th- there was a, a, a word that I would repeat, 
endlessly and automatically, and I didn't have it. So it feel I I feel like something in my brain got blocked. And I hear you. You can convince me. I that hear I hear you, and I remember the woman who wrote into Prevention magazine, and she said, "I drank drank a cup of oat straw tea, and I had a heart attack." You should warn people. <laughs> I don't believe in that. Well, guess what? The OSHA could not make those things, that kind of thing, happen. I am glad to hear that. What That's what I needed to hear because I was thought I said, maybe I burned some neurotransmitters in my brain. What is the matter with me? Oh, God. I, the way I describe what OSHA does is yeah. that OSHA tells the cells that they don't need to absorb histamine. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, I don't know of any particular way that histamine is used in remembering words or cognition. I'm not saying it that it's absolutely not. It could be. I'm certainly not a brain chemist. Yeah. But it's certainly not a neurotransmitter. It's not like, you know, the things that we think of in terms of brain functioning that yeah. OSHA has an effect on. Yeah. So it, it would be difficult for it, it to have an effect on your mind. Well, I stopped taking it uh, to make sure... And uh, I think the fact that it's written on it five five drops to 20 means something that I didn't even read and I didn't pay attention. And, uh, you know, I have to pay the price for being foolish. No, you don't. No? No. I mean, you can overdose. There's no no price to pay. There's no price. It's okay. Okay. You used a little more ocean. Then you needed to. While it is true, (laughs) there are different numbers of drops in droppers. Yes, yes. Depending on the actual size of the hole that the drop comes out of. It is also true that a dropper full is very misleading because a dropper full, when you look at it, is only 50% full. Yeah, but I have the dropper of a four-ounce bottle, so that is big. I counted, I, I you know, I counted the drop. Uh-huh. It was ten, ten times more than five. Yeah. <laughs> got it. So you've got a particularly big dropper. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I'm trying to put more so that I don't have to do it three times. You know, I do it only twice. You know, the mother word and the hot one. Ah, understood. Understood. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, my blood pressure—it's—it's—it's it's, it's pretty much the same. And I almost have a have a desire to take on vacation for two weeks of everything and, and see what happens with my blood pressure. I'm very weak and. Uh, Maybe, you know, I am going down the drain. God knows. Whatever. <sighs> Thank you. I was reading. Yeah. Was it two days ago? A vision of 
how we can help ourselves and others see death not as failure, but as the next adventure. Yes. So it may be that you are moving toward that adventure, but I don't think of you as going down the drain. I don't either, but I am upset. <laughs> so I, say I hear that. I certainly hear that, and I don't and, and yeah. challenge your yeah. belief or your feeling or your intuition that, ah, you know, hmm, you know, the next challenge awaits. The agents of change are coming closer and closer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. Yeah. So how do we make it an adventure? How do we, well, we know, we know. It's the same thing that we learn about everything. Insofar as you possibly can, stop resisting. And stop resisting doesn't mean go all floppy, does it? No, no, that means dying. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you're doing Feldenkrais work, if people are resisting, they're not going to be able to make the movement. Yes. Not going to be able to make the movement if they just, like, flop around either. Yeah, but I did tell my uh, physical therapist, I said, it's time to start crawling. <laughs> <laughs> but I hurt if I do, so I'm trying some intermediate uh, modalities of support of the ground while my body is not fully flat on my back, that, that I'm moving on the floor. I said, I'll move like a dog. Well, now my wrist is hurting. <laughs> I was going to say, soon your knees say, us, us, not dog. <laughs> Right, those knees are not meant for crawling around extensively. Ah. Oh, my, my knees are doing pretty well because I'm not climbing 120 steps anymore in the post office I go. Oh, on. all right. Well, good. <laughs> oh, I remember when you did that ramp. exercise. Yes. Yeah, I go on the ramp. I go on the ramp. I do do 120 up and down the ramp. <laughs> okay, good for you. <laughs> I do what I can. Yes, it is an adventure. I uh, I notice that I am stimulated by challenges. Yes, and I meet more people from the uh, hospice services, and that makes me healthier. I love to meet people. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. Green blessings. Good night. Good night. All right, and it looks like at this time we do not have any callers with their hands raised. I'll remind everyone listening, if you have a question, you need to press 1 to get yourself in the queue. Um, and we do have an email question. Good. All right, let's see. Hi, Susan. I need help 
figuring out to do to help heal my cat's ear. My cat is four years old, and for about the last year, he gets ear infections on and off that never seem to completely go away. There's a slight odor, and sometimes it will get a slight discharge. He has been on two courses of antibiotics in the past year, but neither completely eliminated the issue. Could it be something other than an infection? Would an allergy act like this? What are your thoughts and suggestions? Thank you. The first thing that comes to my mind is mites, which is a very tiny insect that gets into cat's ears. And dog's ears, too. Mite infections are really common. What gives me pause is that the cat has taken antibiotics, which means somebody prescribed those antibiotics. Does that mean that a culture was done and that that culture showed that there was a bacterial infection and that's why the antibiotics were prescribed or were the antibiotics gotten some other way like by, well, I know it's been COVID days, you know, so call up and say, my cat has an infection. Can you write a script for antibiotics and maybe you get it? I don't know. Certainly. Back in the 1990s, you wouldn't have. You would have had to, you know, made sure that it was appropriate, but I don't know now. So if, in fact, the antibiotics weren't specifically prescribed for a specific infection, then the likelihood of it being ear mites certainly goes way up. And there are all kinds of home cures for ear mites, anything from, like, putting Vaseline all over the ear, which is supposed to cause them to suffocate to death. The cat does not like it either, to say the least. And people say, ooh, can't I use something like nicer, like coconut oil? I say, no. The whole idea is to do something noxious to the ear mites, but not horrible to the cat. Now, you can get more noxious. Some people say, oh, we'll use essential oils. Now, that's really noxious to the cat as well as to the ear mites. And cats can have very strong reactions to essential oils. I have seen cats who had a string dipped in essential oil tied around their neck, foam at the mouth, and go into convulsions. So I keep essential oils away from cats, and especially away from their head area, where the, and that's where the ears are. Although I'm talking about it because if you go to look for things that you could do to get rid of ear mites, I know for sure that you're going to be told to use essential oils because essential oils do kill insects. They are insecticides. It's one of the reasons that plants make them is to kill insects. The final thing is I think that you could ask your cat. Not everybody could ask their cat. But I think you could. I think you could sit with your cat on your lap and say to the cat, 
whatever it is you need to say, something about being concerned about its ears and what's going on with its ears and could the cat help you to help it? Could it put an image in your mind of something that it would like or something that it might need? Or could it put an image in your mind of what's going on, something that might be might be needed? Um if you don't think you can do that, that's okay, too. I don't even have your voice to go on, just a sense of who you are, who you might be, from the words that you've written. And I wish you knew your cat. Wish that I knew your cat's name. Thanks for asking. Great blessings. All right. And it looks like we have two callers that have dialed in and raised their hands with questions. Um, are you ready for another question? Yes. All right. Excellent. We will go to the next caller dialed in from the 907 area code. From the 907, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. Uh, my question is about the 100 Proof Vodka. Would you um, think the store label is okay or should I yes. go for a I do think that store okay. label is okay okay there's just so many brands out there that I thought there must be something to it to, for all the variety but good um, and another I th- question I think, that that if you're, I think that if you're drinking vodka yeah and you're, especially if you're drinking it neat that the different brands have different Subtle tastes. But you're going to be using vodka to pour over herbs which have very strong tastes. So the taste of the vodka isn't pretty much neither here nor there. Now, I'm surprised that you're saying you have so many choices. Ah, not of the 100 proof. I just... Not of the 100 proof. Okay. That's been my experience right. and the experience of most people as well, that if they, if the liquor store even admits to having 100 proof, they have one or possibly two, and that often right. they'll say, oh, no, no such thing exists, and you have to kind of like persist and say, yes, it does, and I want you to order it for me. Right. Oh, no, no, we're past that. We're good. Okay, good. So there is that, and then also um, one thing about St. John's Word, I had gotten some flour last Spring and my uh, my tincture turned bright red, but my oil did not. So I realize it's not ideal, but um, do I have a use for that? You can still use, use it. Green? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Zara was <laughs> visiting here, and she, a past apprentice, she said that she had been trying to track down why sometimes her oil was red and why sometimes it was green. And she found that if she picked the blossoms before 12 o'clock, that her oil would be red. Right. And unfortunately what happened is I had them shipped and the UPS, instead of coming in the morning, they came in the afternoon and it was in Florida. It was rather warm by the time I got them. So they were so freshly—they were freshly picked blossoms. 
yes, they were freshly picked, ordered from a reputable company, shipped overnight, but then UPS kept them the whole day. So I think they turned from morning blooms into afternoon blooms. Afternoon blooms, exactly. And so the oil didn't have that bright red color. Right. Right. And you know what a fun thing to do is, is to make friends with somebody who lives where Hypericum perforatum grows and offer to trade. For instance, you live in a place where salt palmetto grows. Okay. So, right, think about what what are the unique things around you that you could trade with people for the things that you don't have there. Right. Because it's always going to be hit and miss. When you order fresh roots, it's going to be a hit every time because the roots can take a little... You know, <laughs> dilly-dallying by the delivery people. But the flowers, I've often carried my vodka and my oil into the field with me to make sure that they get over the flowers within moments of picking them. Yes, I had that feeling. I was almost ready to fly to Colorado at the solstice to go just get my own. Yes, Nova Scotia, too. Best hypericum oh, I ever okay. picked was in Nova Scotia, although northern Ontario was a very close second. Okay. So the farther north, north you go, the redder your remedy is going to be. When we were picking in Nova Scotia, it was, there was so much red in those leaves that it was running down our hands and down our arms to our elbows. Oh, wow. What a treat. Right. Totally. Okay. So I'll make okay. use of my oil and get yeah. ready for the um, upcoming season. Oh, my God. Thank you so much, Susan. You're welcome. Green blessing. Thanks for your question. Good night. Thank you. Good night. All right. Next caller is dialed in from the 703 area code. From the 703, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Thank Hi. you for taking my call. <laughs> I called you before. Each time I ask you a question, it helped me. This time I want to ask you about the nutritional yeast. What do you think um, good, is it good for the body, and when is the best time to eat that? I found it in the mom's store, nutritional yeast. And I researched it myself. They say you can take it, you can, you know, Take the powder and mix it with the water and drink it. It's good for the body. But what do you think? Well, let me be, first of all, as general as possible. Does it look like it grew in nature? I don't know. Uh, No. No, it doesn't. You do know. No, it does not. So it's not natural. Okay. It's not natural. It didn't grow in nature. So here's some things that I know about nutritional yeast. During World War II, Germany bombed English 
farms. So the English government had a bomb-proof food contest. And there were two winners. Henry Doubleday was comfrey. <laughs> what happens if you bomb comfrey? <laughs> you get hundreds of more yeah. comfrey plants. <laughs> it's yeah. certainly bomb-proof food. And the other winner was a group of scientists who went in the sub-sub-sub-basement and got a vat of sugar and water mm-hmm. and added yeast to it. And then they started throwing in nutrients. Mm-hmm. And they kind of cooked it down. Now, the yeast, as it dies, is a really great source of B vitamins. But that's true of any yeast. The yeast in beer is a great source of B vitamins. The yeast in bread is a great source of B vitamins. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, but that's about it from the yeast. So to make this a food, they had to add a lot of other nutrients. In England, they just kind of condense it, and it turns dark, and it's called marmite. Mm-hmm. In the United States, it's dehydrated, and it's called nutrition. Yeast, the nutritional yeah. being, because all of those things have been added to it. Yeah. There was a um, writer mm-hmm. who, during the 60s and 70s, promoted brewer's yeast as a good source of B vitamins. What is a good source of B vitamin? I'm sorry, I didn't get it. Brewers, brewers yeast, brewers yeast, the yeast from brewing. Remember I said that beer was a good source of B vitamins? Because of the yeast that's used in making beer, right? So the leftover yeast bodies from brewing, right, and there's a lot of them, are called brewers yeast, and it's a great source of B vitamins. However, it tastes very bitter. So Adele Davis was not getting a lot of people to use brewer's yeast. And somebody said to her, well, why don't you have them use nutritional yeast instead? And she thought that was a good idea, that it tasted a little better. And she even made a um, snack bar filled with nutritional yeast called Tiger Bar. Mm -hmm. And she herself ate nutritional yeast on a daily basis. Sometime in her 60s, she stood up and all four of her leg bones broke. All four of her lower leg bones just collapsed. Ah, okay. And this, this, to my mind, it's not been scientifically Mm -hmm. proven, but to my mind, it is because of the synthetic nature of nutritional yeast and the way it disrupts bone remodeling. I had a woman tenuously tell me, I didn't tell her this story or in any way solicit it, but somebody had asked about nutritional yeast and she said, let me talk about nutritional yeast because the first time I was pregnant, I believed that nutritional yeast was a great thing and I ate it every day. She said, I lost two teeth during the pregnancy and the baby's baby teeth were so bad, so filled with with cavities that most of them had to be pulled. Mm-hmm. She said, the second baby, I eat no nutritional yeast of any kind, and the baby has very healthy teeth. 
Now, again, this is anecdotal evidence. We don't know for sure that the nutritional yeast had anything to do with it. And I did ask her, was there anything else different about your diet? And she said, really, very little changed in my diet or my life except that I got wise to the fact that nutritional yeast is not a healthy thing. That does not mean that you can never eat it. I like a big bowl of popcorn with some olive oil and some salt and some nutritional yeast on it. Mm -hmm. But I'm not eating that every day. I'm not even eating that every week. Yes, yes. So what is the good source of B1 vitamins? I heard nutritional yeast has a a lot of B1 vitamins. And... B vitamins come together. They don't come mm-hmm. separately in nature. Okay. okay. Every grain is an excellent source of B vitamins. Every bean is an excellent source of B vitamins. Okay. Beer is an excellent source of B vitamins. Mm-hmm. Because... I'm not vegetarian. I eat meat, but not a lot, not every day. But I heard people who are, are vegetarian, um, they eat a lot of beans or those things, but they need, they are uh, they're deficient in B vitamins. So, no, they're deficient in vitamin B12. Oh, B12. Okay. A specific okay. vitamin that you can only get from animal products. Yeah. And even yes. if you eat meat as little as once a year, you'll get enough vitamin B12. And I'll tell you, I have a kind of strange sense of humor. <laughs> but it, is, it amuses <laughs> me that every source of B vitamins in terms of supplements now is from genetically modified organisms. Yeah, yeah. I, do, I don't take... Um, uh, and it's yeah. just, as I said, it amuses me that people who, you know have most of them that I have met have this kind of I am choosing the purest diet that in order to actually be healthy they have they have to consume a genetically modified organism and some of them will say well no I can use you know like chlorella or these other things and unfortunately those sources of B12 are very poorly utilized by the human body yeah yes I know. And when you I, when you lack enough vitamin B12, you get dementia. Yes. I um uh, I eat once uh twice a month at least uh organ meat. I like to eat them because I thought they have good B12 too. They certainly do. That's a really good choice. Yeah. Thank you very much, Susan. Thank you for your call. Thank you for your question. Green blessings. Good night. Yes, thank you. All right. And does not look like we have anyone with a hand raised at this time. I'll remind everyone listening, if you have a question, you'll need to press 1 to get yourself in the queue. We do have another email question, if you would like to hear that one. I would in a moment, but I also want to um, exhort for a moment. I have been exhorting people um, close and far away to submit Comfrey Shorts, and I have been getting a delightful um, number of uh, excuses for why this can't happen. And so let me be 
let me just talk about it a little bit. The Comfrey Conference is going to be focused around um, 16 people who said, yeah, I want to talk about Comfrey. I want to, like, get up and make a presentation about Comfrey. And they're going to do that through their pre-recorded videos, and they're going to do that through a Zoom question and answer session. And that's wonderful. And the wise woman tradition reminds us that every voice is important and that we lose something if we make anybody the expert. If we say, oh, well, what I have to say is meaningless because the experts are going to be talking and they're the important ones, then herbal medicine stops being people's medicine. Herbal medicine is people's medicine when the people speak. So I was walking with somebody today, and she said, well, I don't have anything to say about comfort. I said, that's good enough. She said, what? I said, you pick up your cell phone, and you take a video selfie, and you say, I don't have anything to say about comfrey, except I like to put bergamot in it, and I drink comfrey infusion, and I have been drinking comfrey infusion for four years. See how easy that was? She said, oh, that's all you want? I said, that's all I want. You don't have to. She said, I don't I have to think about it and do a presentation? I said, no, no. I said, and if you have Zoom, it's even easier. You open Zoom, right, new meeting, open your Zoom, and up in the right-hand corner are three dots, and you touch those three dots, and a little drop-down menu will drop down, and one of them says, record to the cloud. And you touch that, and now you're recording to the cloud. And you can go on and on, and you don't have to worry about where you send it, because you can just let... Sarah Ellen or Susan or Allie know, hey, I recorded to the cloud, and, you know, this is my name, this is how you find it, and Allie can go, I believe, and find it and download it as comfort short. Now, don't get carried away on Zoom there, because we can't handle files that are longer than 10 minutes, so we're really talking comfort shorts here. And if you want to do more than one, if you get into it and suddenly you discover, like somebody said, well, really, I have nothing to say about comfrey at all, except we use it all the time for the animals, the horses and the dogs. And, oh, you know, there was this one time the dog and blah, 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 and it was wonderful. So let yourself be moved by the moment. Maybe you had a horrible experience with comfrey. Maybe, you know, you tried to move comfrey and it took over your whole garden. I'm would like to hear all of those things as well. Comfrey Shorts is a place for all of our voices to be heard talking about our relationship with comfrey, the good, the bad, the abundant, the scarce, the stinky ointments, the, oh, really? Monarda Didyma makes it taste that good? The discovery that... Hot comfrey with honey is an amazingly good beverage. All of those things bear repeating and saying. And speaking of repeating, Sarah Ellen and I will tell you that we actually went to some great lengths to make sure that not that the presenters weren't all going to tell you how to make comfrey ointment. <laughs> right? 
That is very, very true. You did go to great lengths. You made sure I did as well. Right. Sure. Both of us went to great lengths to make sure that they were not all going to say, yeah, that makes sense for you. But I would like 50 other people to tell us how they make comfrey ointment in a comfrey short. You don't have to do it. You don't have to be good at it. You don't have to say, this is the best comfrey ointment in the world. You can say, this is how I made comfrey ointment, and it was a horrible flop. Boy, I tried fresh comfrey leaves, and I poured oil, olive oil over them, and I let it sit for six weeks, and when I opened, the stench made me just, uh, yeah. right? Whatever. <laughs> Comfrey shorts are for us to just get a sense of what's happening if we were sitting in a talking stick circle talking about comfrey, right? Because it's a virtual conference, we can't. But because it's a virtual conference, everybody can contribute. Yay, people's medicine. <laughs> exhort, exhort, make comfrey shorts. Okay, one last question. Okay, let me, okay. One here is, all right. Um, hi, Susan, spring blessings to you. I want to ask about the vagus nerve. I recently started meditating, and the instructor gave a brief explanation of the vagus nerve and talked about the importance of tone. Other than meditation, how can I help my vagus nerve, and what happens if a vagus nerve is not worked or toned? Are there any herbs or foods that are good for toning the vagus nerve? Thank you. Nervines are the class of herbs that are thought to be good for the nerves. Oat straw is perhaps one of the world's best nervines. If you are drinking your nourishing herbal infusions and oat straw is part of your rotation, then you are already doing the very best thing that you can for your vagus nerve in terms of foods. The vagus nerve travels and carries messages between the lower half and the upper half of the body or between the receptors in the gut and the receptors in the brain. And so if you read more about the brain-gut connection, you will learn more about taking care of the vagus nerve. And I believe that the kind of diet that seems to be the healthiest for human beings, which is a diet that includes a wide variety of gifts from the ocean, from animals, from plants, cooked, fermented, dehydrated, covered in oil, all right, helps the vagus nerve at that when we are confronted with both raw food and highly processed food, that these things are disturbing to the vagus nerve. And with that, I think it's time 
for Isabeau Maxwell. Yes, she is with us in the queue. Isabel Maxwell is one of the leading spiritual coaches in intuitive development. She brings deep channeled knowledge and personal understanding to spirituality. She's been helping people connect to their authentic, natural, intuitive abilities for over 15 years. Isabel is an internationally known medium, author, and teacher who has touched the lives of people throughout the world. Isabeau is the founder of the SAGE Method, a life-changing intuitive training program that teaches people how to open up their intuitive abilities and live an authentic, blissful life. She's also the creator of the online community and app, the SAGE Circle, Discovery Meditation. Isabeau Maxwell wrote, Cracking Open, Adventures of a Romance Medium. Her newest project is the podcast, Other Side Chats, where Isabeau is ready to share her mission to humanize people in spirit form and to remind listeners that ghosts are people, too. Welcome to the show, Isabeau. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us about the SAGE method? Hi. Yeah, absolutely. It's an intuitive development program that came to be as a result of my own intuitive development as a, as a mid, mid, middle-aged adult, I guess, back in the day. I don't want to age myself too much, but <laughs> years ago in my early 30s, I opened up intuitively, and what my guides had me walk through uh, they asked for me to put it together and bring it to the world so other people could connect with their intuitive source as well. All right. And when you did that, you called it SAGE. Is SAGE an acronym? Yes. Yes. SAGE stands for Spirituality, Alignment, Growth, and Empowerment. Spirituality, to me, is almost the opposite to religion. What's spirituality yeah. to you? Is it the same as religion? Is it different from religion? I would say it was, it's very different from religion. I think religion is the um, connection of communities, and it's the... Um, it's it's more in line with, with the rituals and the... Um, not habits. What am, what am I looking for? The the daily routines toward connecting with your source, where spirituality is connecting with your your authentic self, who you are, what you're actually created of. That that unconditional love source that really is who you are at your core, and and reconnecting to your higher self, to your source to guides and kind of letting go of some of those uh, those boundaries, letting go of some of the, the blinders, you could say. So in a way, religion asks us to accept certain things and spirituality asks us to not accept. Spirituality is within us. Religion is outside of us. 
Oh, that's that's an easy one for us all to get, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) We we all know about that for sure. Were you brought up in a religion and moved from that to spirituality? I actually, I was brought up a Christian, Methodist to be specific. I didn't go very far with it. I went far enough in my, um, you know, preteen years to go through the confirmation steps and such. But then I didn't return to the church, so I wasn't active with the church. I went back when my kids were very small to, to kind of explore it a little bit. I wasn't open spiritually at that time. And, um, but it, it just didn't call to me and it wasn't really my source of community. I was very active in, uh, the scientific realms in business in, uh, I had a degree in mathematics as a matter of fact, from the, from university. And it was, uh, it was very one plus one equals two. I was very earth bound. I was very, um, you know, connected to the solid, you could say. And when I opened up intuitively, I was um, in my early 30s, and my grandmother had passed away, uh, and she was some distance from me physically, and she passed away. Within a few hours, she showed up in spirit form in my living room, and I had, I, it just shook me to my core. It, it actually uh, frightened me a bit because this wasn't in my reality. It wasn't um, in my day-to-day life. It wasn't anything, you know, I just thought all of that was fake and, and, you know, not real, et cetera, et cetera. And so when she showed up in my living room, it really startled me. Um, And then she was, you know, she was my mother. She was that, that wise woman. She was that, um, that source of love for me. And so, I had to give it a chance to see if this was real or if that was just my grief speaking, you know, manifesting itself in front of me in, in, in this, in this sort of grief vision. And over the course of a few months, I worked with some really loving people. Um, I started to find my way into the community because as you know, it's, it's the people in your community that really, um, that can really lift you up and sometimes hold you up. And that's what I found. And they were able to help me, communicate with her through at first yes and no and then even deeper communication and really hone my intuition at that point so I wouldn't say that I went from religion to spirituality I would say more that I was introduced to religion never linked into it never really felt the pull of it um, because I was way too focused on the solid And so the spirituality almost took you by surprise. Oh, yes, Susan. <laughs> yes, 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 absolutely took me by surprise. I did not expect that. Yeah, that, um, that. That's part of what we don't get from many religions is the understanding. And some religions do give you the understanding that this is religion, but there is also spirituality. But it's not the norm. And so suddenly have your grandmother standing there. My gosh, you must have even questioned your own sanity. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And for me it was, um, you know, am I making this up to make myself feel better? And she did a fantastic job of providing me with, with enough proof that I had to let myself 
relax into it. I had to let myself say, okay, I'm going to open up the windows of possibility here and I'm not going to stay stuck in, in this, this sort of human ritual I was in. I'm going to allow myself to experience all the possibilities and then more and more came. And the thing that I really, I think, took away from that process, if you're talking about religion and spirituality, for me, what I didn't like about religion was that there was a middle person that I had to go through to connect to this, this source that they said was there to love me. And so I found that through spirituality, I, and that was just in, in, the, in the experiences that I had. I know there are many religions out there where people are encouraged to, to connect directly to that source within, within their heart. And, but for me, it was, there, was, um, there was that boundary between me and accessing that. And spiritually, what I found that was so beautiful was the connection was direct. The connection was, you know, I didn't, I didn't have to go to someone else to talk to my grandmother. She was right there. I didn't have to go. To, I don't have to go to someone else to um, connect with higher guidance or my higher self or source or, or, you know, whatnot. And I think that that's an incredibly beautiful thing. I think it links us in deeper into who we really are. I absolutely agree with you, and I'm sure that you have seen the. You call it bliss, and I would agree, the absolute bliss that overcomes people when they realize, oh, I don't have to be a good girl or a good boy or, you know, make mommy and daddy happy. Um, I am loved. I am loved. I am loved. And it's, it's about on path or off path. It's not about good or bad or right or wrong or or what it's it's unconditional love or no love you know on path or off path it's about following and being in the sync in the flow of that which you're actually created from i love hearing johanna macy tell us that we are made of the earth and that the earth is five billion years old, and so we should act our age. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> <laughs> that is beautiful. I and you know there are there are people that have these experiences where they connect to source and they feel that that direct connection and it, whether they're in a religion or not in a religion it everyone has their own unique experience i know some people have had that incredible moment of being touched by the holy spirit too so it's it's all over the world though and if we look at all the different paths that people are walking all over the world you know spiritual religious either both if we look at all of them across the globe, we have to look at the similarities and the similarities are that we're made of love and we're connected to mother earth. That's really, that's really where the baseline is. My teachers basically taught me that when you die, you don't die all at once that it takes a while to die and that first your body dies and then your spirit or your soul kind of 
has to get it, that that has happened, Mm -hmm. and that sometimes a spirit doesn't get it, that the body is dead, and that the spirit stays, and that it can be liberated, it can be moved on. And I got this both from European descent teachers and Native American teachers, especially Grandmother Twyla, who um, had a special ceremony for people who were killed abruptly, like in an accident, um, because her culture believed that those spirits had to be helped to move on, that they got extremely confused by the accident. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything to say about those beliefs? I can tell you from my own experience that that falls right in line with everything that I've experienced. When I opened up, I, I knew so little about, you know, spirituality and, and spirits and mediumship um, that I I did what I thought I should do, you know, just go out and you do read. If you're a medium, you do readings. Like that's what I thought. And, and I did, and I did those for quite a while. And, it, and they were wonderful. They were absolutely wonderful and very connective. But beyond that, the calling for me was to help spirits cross over who are stuck. Same thing that, that those wise teachers are talking about. That became my job. And that's something I still hold very dear and close to my heart to this day. If I am out and about, or if I um, feel a spirit come near me that is struggling, lost or confused, uncertain of what's going on, or perhaps just straight up does not want to cross over, it's my job to be present with them so that they can start that transition again. And because it's kind of like the way that I've always seen it is it's like a people mover or like an escalator, you know, you when you pass you do have to go up this escalator there's a transition period you have to go through it's not an instant and as you're going up this escalator there are people that will dig their heels into the side and go no i'm scared to do this or there's a fear-based issue i have or i'm confused or i don't know what's going on and it's it's you know my job to step in and say as as in how I can't even count the number of people across the globe that also do this uh, work with love, but it's our job to be present with that spirit in the moment and say, Hey, it's okay. And let's, let's figure out what you're scared of or, or give you the energy that you need or call on the loved ones that can support you in this moment. You know, those types of things to help them loosen their grip and keep going up that escalator so they can finish their transition. So the words you speak resonate very deeply with me. I've only once met a spirit that totally dug its heels in. And it was interesting because the woman that it belonged to wouldn't believe that she was dying. She mm-hmm. never got past the denial state right up to the moment when she was dying, when she said, would someone turn the lights up? The lights are getting very dim. <laughs> yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. It, it was the most amazing that I have ever been around. And no matter what anyone said to her, she turned it the way she wanted it to be. And her 
teaching center she gave to an apprentice of mine. And about a month into it, this woman got in touch with me and she said, please, please come and help me because this woman is like all over the planet. You know, I'm like trying to move in here and she's like moving the furniture back. She wouldn't let her like change where things were in the house. Yeah, absolutely. She was holding on tight to that. Wow. I mean, she was like, she was, she was not going to be dead. (laughs) 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 So I I did, I went there and we did an all non ceremony. We entertained her all night long and we told her how much we loved her. And then we explained to her that she had a new adventure and that she needed to show up for that new adventure. So what you did was you kind of um, got her to relax her grip halfway up that escalator so she could continue going toward the other side. I remember a woman um, who was, she was not going anywhere and she was adamant about it. And she said, I'm not going anywhere. She was in spirit transitioning until my kids graduate, I will be there. And I was like, and she was, she was digging her heels in and, you know, I understand it. I, I, I get it. There's lots of different reasons, but how beautiful was it that you were there? That, I mean, that's, I think that's, that's the biggest thing that I find in spirituality that I love so much is that you're able to show up for someone else on a spiritual level on an, on an energetic level, and I think that that's a beautiful thing. Uh, well, I really am appreciating your use of the word spiritual because we're talking about spirits, mm-hmm. and we're talking about psyche. Yeah. Yeah, we really are. It's a very psychological pro- – there's a psychological component to the process of releasing out of your body and returning back to the other side. You know, you're you're going from linear time, which is what all fear-based thinking is based on, or or not based on, but really kind of anchored into, and you're releasing time, you're releasing space, you're releasing, you know, the physical. There's, there's, it's quite the birth to cross over to the other side as well. Linear time, let me go, linear time, don't you know, that's the world I see. Is beyond your reach. Linear time, let me go. Linear time, don't you know that the world that I seek is beyond your reach? A little mm-hmm. chant made up by the first apprentice over 35 years ago. <laughs> now, true I it is. That. True it mm-hmm. is. Huh? Uh, so, in addition to this direct spiritual work with the spirits, you also help other people to find their intuitive selves, their connection to spirit. Tell us a little more about that. Well, when I, like, like I had mentioned when I opened up, I didn't have a community and I didn't have the knowledge of what to do. Um, I wasn't, 
as fortunate as some to have found a teacher right out of the gate. Um, my teacher really ended up being my first spiritual guide because I couldn't, you know, I, I just didn't, my path didn't cross with a living teacher that could mentor me at first. So the training that my guide put me through uh, really turned out to be a path that anyone can go through to access their own intuition. Intuition is, um, from what I've learned and discovered, it's not a gift. It's, it's a sense. It's a natural woven part of you. It's something that is, if, if it's not very active for you, if you have a hard time being able to gain access to guidance or intuitive messages, it's because your intuition is, is uh, cluttered. It's, it's covered up. And it's a matter of uncovering it and allowing it to flow naturally that really uh, opens that up and opens your ability up to be able to access you know, the guidance that you're looking for, to be able to access yourself, those questions, to be in touch with your system, you know, for the yes and no's and for the, and for the hey, pay attention to this and, and look up ahead and see what's coming and more of the observer point of view, you could say. And I get the grateful honor of being able to witness people go through this and uncover their intuition and say, yeah, I can do this too. It's it's so natural, and it's something that we had for so long. But currently, the the cultural teachings can sometimes lean toward, you know, well, intuition is something special that only certain people have, and you don't have it. And then people say, well, I can't do that. And it's my job to step in and say, yeah, you can, and here's how. <laughs> and I, I love it. I absolutely love it. So we we could, I think, absolutely truthfully say that every single person is intuitive about themselves. Oh, yes, absolutely. And no, no question person. that every single person can become yeah. tapped into their own intuition about themselves. They, they can be taught how to do that, and it doesn't require years of training or difficult things to do to start being intuitive about yourself. To be intuitive in the way you are, that you can intuit and work with the spirits, is something else. Again, is that also something that you teach? Oh, it's all included. It's all included. The way that the SAGE method um, is formulated, the way that I teach is walking people through the steps to find how they are wired intuitively. Everyone will be different. You have some people that are very psychic. You have some people that are very, um, that lean very much into the mediumship side of it, which is the spiritual spirit communication. Um, you have people that uh, are wired to communicate with animals. You have people that are wired to communicate with mother earth. Um, you know, there's, Everyone is very different and very unique, and the, the goal is to walk through the steps to identify your core, identify that soul, that spirit within you. How does it align with your intuitive channel, opening that up, and then staying open to what comes through and how your strengths come through? Excuse Susan, your strength is, um, your intuition is super strong with the earth. I mean, the communication that you have with Mother Earth is, is intense, whereas 
for me, my communication is, is very intense with spirit, not so intense with psychic, for example. I'll have an occasional psychic hit that'll come through, and I just think that that's a great day because it's super fun. Um, but everyone's strengths are, are different and unique and beautiful. I think if we try to be like somebody else intuitively, that in itself can be a block. I just want to take a moment to let that sink in. That's so important. <clears throat> and that's so loving to yep. to see that we work together in that way. I watched a short video today, and a man was talking about um, how our um, kind of survival path has been through possessiveness. Yes. My territory, my food, my house, my stuff, and that he lived in a place where he could walk. It was a four-mile walk, so he had to want to do it. But every day for five years, he walked the four miles to this place where he could swim with the dolphins. Yes. And he said the dolphins are surrounded by such an abundance of food and an abundance of territory that the idea of possession is completely foreign to them. Yes. And they, what they have to worry about, he said, is the tiger shark. And there's no way that any one dolphin could win, but as a group, they can survive. So in order to survive as a dolphin, he says, you learn to be polite and playful. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Exactly. And it's that that playful space. That's where that's where you connect. And and so having watched that today and now talking to you, I think, oh, you're teaching people to be polite and playful. Mm-hmm. You're teaching people to be dolphins. You're saying where you could live there is always plenty. Yes. You don't have to cling to it or hoard it, because if you let it go, more will replace it. That is a key to abundance, and not even financial abundance, just abundance of everything. Everything. To know in this moment, you're, this is what dolphins know. They know that in this moment, I'm okay. And in this moment, I'm okay. And now in this moment, I'm okay. And in this moment, I'm okay. They know that at their core. And when you connect to that to that um, need of holding, you're you're thinking about things in the past and you're worried about things in the future, and then you're even further down that rabbit hole of linear time. That that it's hard to get back into that moment, and it's in that moment that you can recognize that you're okay, and perhaps find a little moment of enjoyment, and the whimsical and the fun. And that's where that's where you really connect. Yes. To have fun. If there 
seems like there's no meaning to your life, it has been suggested, then you need to find the fun. Because fun, it has been said, will give you meaning. Yes, it is a, that is a doorway to reconnecting to your higher self and to your, and to your source. It's, it's a way to anchor in to Mother Earth. It's a way to uh, raise the vibration in your energetic body. And it's a way to open up access to more and more possibilities. And when we disconnect from, from that, this is, the, the, this is the challenge I went through, and I'm so grateful that I'm on the other side of it now. I had to disconnect from, um, from amounts, from quantities, from how much or when or why. Like I had to disconnect from a lot of that uh, linear time-based kind of structure and open up to the fact that the possibilities – are absolutely endless. And when we can start to have some trust and faith in that, then we open up uh, paths and doorways and channels that we didn't even think could open. And that in itself is fun. I'm having such a wonderful time talking to you, Isabel, that I have been negligent in asking you to tell people how they can get in touch with you. Would you do that, please? Oh, absolutely. Everything uh, they can find on thesagemethod.com. That makes it easy, thesagemethod.com. Now, <clears throat> we, our time is almost over, so listeners, I just want you to hear the questions I don't have time to ask Isabel. How to become a conscious creator and automatically manifest without effort. How to overcome relationship problems and set boundaries. How to know when your intuition is speaking versus your thoughts are going on and on again. How to manifest your dream job, money, and 2022 goals with ease. How to listen to your intuition and be sure that your decisions are the best ones for you. Instead of any of those questions, what I'm going to ask you is, what would you like to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's been listening to you tonight, Isabel Maxwell? The one thing I would like to leave is your daily connection to love, whether that's telling someone else that you love them or telling yourself that you love yourself, preferably both. That daily connection to love is going to anchor you more deeply into your spiritual self, and pull you away a little bit more from that linear blockage. Love. Thank you. I envision that we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. Women's work is spinning, spinning the thread, spinning the thread of life, spinning the thread of the story, spinning the thread of the spirits. Thank you so much for weaving with us tonight, Isabel. Thank you, Sarah Ellen, for all of the wonderful weaving that you're doing with me and for helping to restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine and to bring to its grand enough the comfrey country. Oh, my goodness, just one month 
to go. <laughs> Green blessings and good night, everybody. <laughs>